Dig into left center, and what a play made by the rookie Brian O'Grady. Pitch. Oh, into right field. Brian O'Grady, first big league home run. Fly ball, center field struck well. Marisnik going back at the wall. Welcome back, Brian O'Grady. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 21 of Breaking Bats, presented by Not For Long Media. I'm your host, Brian O'Grady. With me, as always, my co-host, Justin Ayers, J.A. I know you just got done a long weekend in Pittsburgh celebrating the 4th of July and having some fun, unlike me, playing some baseball. Just kidding. That's a lot of fun, too. But how you doing, dude? How was your weekend? Yeah, man, it was a fantastic weekend in Pittsburgh. Got to check out the Pirates. Uh, O'Neill Cruz, president of the fan club now, so he's just killing every baseball that he uh, comes into contact with. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was just a fantastic weekend. But for this episode this week, uh, a little summer vacation episode. It's the best of. We're the best of the interviews from the first 20 episodes of Breaking Bats podcast. And, yeah, it's just a fun, you know, kind of middle of the summer Kind of relaxing week to kick back. I, I pulled out some of my favorite clips from from uh, you know I think we're doing about a half dozen, seven or eight maybe of of some of these interviews. You know some of my favorite portions of it. But yeah, well these are all brought to you by our friends at the Original Fudge Kitchen. Yeah, the Original Fudge Kitchen. Um, for those who didn't see earlier this week, Miles Teller, Miles Teller of Top Gun, nice tweet um, talking about growing up eating this stuff and how it's the best fudge there is out there. So. Our sponsor, the Original Fudge Kitchen. You can find them at Original Fudge Kitchens with an S.com. There's your Philly people. We got locations in Cape May, North Wildwood, Wildwood, Ocean City, Stone Harbor. Got to go check them out. They got some of the best stuff around. Shipping all over the country. You can order from OriginalFudgeKitchens.com. All right, here is the order for our guest list for the best of the first 20 episodes of the Breaking Bats podcast. First up for you guys, we have Joe Musgrove telling the no-pisser-slash-no-hitter story. Then we're going to kick it to Jared Carabas talking about his relationship with the Yankees and Yankees fans. Then we're going to do Eric Hosmer talking about winning the 2015 World Series with the Kansas City Royals. We're going to send it to Adam Jones talking about his relationship with the Baltimore Orioles and some of the behind-the-scenes stuff on the off-seasons there. Next, we're going to send it to Frank Schwindel, and we're going to have him talk about his journey from the minor leagues to the major leagues. Then, one of my favorite stories we've had on this podcast, we're going to send it over to Adam Frazier, talking about the Reds and Pittsburgh Pirates brawls. And finally, we're going to round it out with our guy, Matt Strom. We're going to do the clip that got us a million views on TikTok. It is Matt Strom talking about his uh, Juco baseball. So... Uh, yeah, like I said, there's this July 4th week, people are probably going to be traveling, people are be out of the office, just some really cool, fun, interesting stories to, to go back and reminisce on. Uh, so we've had a lot of fun doing them. Yeah, there's some awesome clips, man. Forget some of the great guests we've had on and some of the cool stories and funny stuff that they've talked about throughout all these episodes. So this would be nice to go back and, and hear all those things. Um, just thankful for all the guys we've had on so far and um, for the, for the people we're going to have on as we go forward, uh, we'll get back to interviews next week, but yeah, for, for this week, um, we'll let everybody listen to some of our favorite, favorite stuff that we've had so far on here. Uh, 
you threw the first ever no hitter by San Diego Padre franchise history. A kid from Grossmont High School, just outside of the city, threw the first ever fucking no hitter for the Padres. Take take us through that, dude. How fucking just nuts was that in general? Yeah, bro, that was my first no hitter I've ever thrown in my life. Like, I never even came close. I don't think. Like, <laughs> not in high school. Never, bro. I feel like I've just been like, I'm maybe I'm peaking at the right time because like I was never that great. Of a, <laughs> I was never that. I didn't even make varsity till my junior year in high school. Like um that's crazy not that great it's just kind of I've, i have maintained like the knowledge of the things that i've learned along the way and like not making the same mistakes over and over and shit you know um i guess it's got me where i'm at now but that's still something that doesn't seem like that was never a dream of mine never a goal of mine like never really thought it was capable i was capable of it to be honest with my stuff and and whatever but um yeah dude the, the emotion from like trying to be numb and block out all that shit for nine innings, like, especially in the last couple innings when like, you know, it's there and like, you're so close to like, you make the final out and just the eruption of the stadium and getting mobbed by your teammates. Like that feelings, it's unbelievable, bro. And you like, you know, the clubhouse after like, you know, just that moment is, is like, it's stuff that you'll never forget. And that, you know, you can never recreate through anything else in life, you know? Was there a play in that game? I can't, I can't remember. Was there like, you know, one of the sick plays or were they, they were all pretty routine. Were, yeah. They? For the most part, they were routine, but I think there was like three balls hit hard. And I think one got hit to, to Kim's right when he was playing short, like and he backhanded in the hole, like maybe. Oh, yeah. And then uh, the line drive, the right that Myers caught to end the eighth. And then the first out of the ninth was like a screaming line drive up the middle that Crony was shifted on and hit right at him. <laughs> But uh, love that shift. I got a lot of weak contact. Um, I don't think I got 10 punch outs that game, so yeah, it was a pretty good, it was a pretty, it was a pretty well crafted game. And Vic was a fucking was a genius back there, dude. Like, I honestly I didn't have to put much thought in, like, didn't have to think about much, but execution, you know, it was uh, they make your job so much fucking easier, dude. Yeah, so, yeah, Vic's a Vic's a great catcher, I know you guys had a really good relationship throughout the year, especially after that. But, uh, dude, I mean, the, uh, there's a like fuck- all the, all the little perks and shit that have come along the way. And that, like, I feel like are still coming from that no hitter. Um, <laughs> you know, that was something I feel like that took my, my status to a level where like, I can't just go out and like be chill and do whatever. Like I'm starting to get noticed just about everywhere I go in San Diego. Um, but like, people are like oh does that ever get old man i'm like fuck no like it's cool as shit like people are like in most time most for the most part people are friendly about it and like just want to hang out or say what's up or like tell you like about their story about where they were when they made when you got the last out so it's been like very cool and san diego's been really cool about it so um but the fame yeah the fame and like the attention everywhere i go has gotten a lot crazier than it's ever been in my life so yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was one of the most dominant pitching performances I've ever seen, but I would argue that there was something even more impressive about that night. Is it true that you drank like 12 bottles of water and you didn't pee the entire <laughs> did, did I read that right? Yeah, dude. My brother calls it the no pisser. Like, he's like, he's like that should be a greater achievement that you fucking drank that much. Um, dude, I'm, not, I'm not superstitious at all, but for whatever reason that night, I was like following all the rules that you need to follow. So I wasn't breaking anything. I was just um staying consistent i've all i always drink a ton of water when i start i usually go through like a bottle every half inning so um yeah i'd never gotten that deep into a game so i'd never had that much in my system but i was fucking i was just rolling 
did it get hard as the, as the innings, as you know, as time went on and you're, you're inching closer to this milestone, did you ever like waver in any point? Did you get close to going up? Taking oh, yeah. like, what was the dynamic there? Yeah. The bottom <laughs> of the eighth, the bottom of the eighth, after I got the last out or what would have been the top, the top of the eighth, no bottom of the eighth. Um, I came in the dugout and I'm sitting there and like just mental broke for a minute. And I was like, started thinking about the fact that I really had to pee. And then I was like, damn, what if I get out there and I do food, I do fucking, you know, throw this no hitter and I get mobbed. I was like, I'm, if somebody like squeezing me in their crunch, I'm probably going to piss my fucking pants on the mound. Like, <laughs> so that was the first time I like really seriously thought about it. And I'm like, what the fuck am I thinking about? Like, just try to get that back out of my head and, and get back <laughs> on baseball. But um, yeah, I was, it wasn't overbearingly bad, but I was like, damn, if, if I get super pumped here, like I'm getting squeezed and like crazy, I'm going to piss myself. What's, what's a better feeling though, pitching a no hitter or that first piss after you drank a dozen bottles of water? <laughs> oh dude, the no hitter for sure. I don't even remember okay. when okay. I pissed or how that I pissed. Like after that moment, I was so excited because I had to stay out there and do like an interview and oh shit, do an interview and like talk to a bunch of different people and shit. So I was out there for like another 15, 20 minutes after the game. Um, but yeah, that urge went, went away as soon as that thing was finished. Yeah. The point about the Yankee fans too, they, they're, they're evolving. They're evolving to where, um, at first they weren't in on the joke and it would drive them insane. But now I'm not saying that they're all the way in on the joke, but they're to the point where they know that it's tongue in cheek, but they still can't prevent themselves from getting upset anyway which is so it's the best of both worlds so like i i at least have the out where it's like you know that i'm joking but i'm still making you mad dude I, it cracks me up because I'm, I, I'm from philly so naturally we we i grew up not liking new york sports teams um if the yankees wanted to pay me a lot of money to play for them i would gladly do that mm. but until that time comes i i enjoy seeing the uh the hatred and all that stuff that that goes on, especially I went to Rutgers, which was in Jersey. So I was mm -hmm. you know, split between the two. So I enjoy it, especially your tweets. Um, you know, when you're tweeting, high, when you're tweeting highlights of the games that go on and it's like fucking Garrett Cole, whatever, uh, striking somebody out and he's giving up just like a nuke or yeah. it's like ju judge with an unbelievable catch. And he's like standing watching a ball go into the stands. Right. I think that shit is so funny. I think I think those two dudes specifically do not have a sense of humor about it. Like there's some dudes on the Yankees that like I'm friends with some guys on the Yankees yeah. and they think it's funny. I think those two guys specifically, Garrett Cole and Aaron Judge, do not think that it's funny. I was standing well, I, I was at I was on the field at the All-Star game in Denver back in July. And yeah. was three feet away from both of them. Nothing wouldn't even, they were just like, wouldn't even look at me. And I'm like, all right, dude, like I'm not, but then that's when that story came out like a few weeks later, uh, like JD Martinez was mic'd up and he was telling the story about how like Garrett Cole came off the bus. And I think it was like him, Rafi and Xander, like they said hi to him and he just like kept walking straight. So yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I think with, with those two guys, if you leaned into it, people like it, they're not, they're not, not engaging with me because they're like, we want to protect the sanctity of the Red Sox Yankees rivalry. I think that they're just not engaging with me because they're sensitive. If, 
if you wanted to lean into it, it would be so like people would have so much respect for them if they leaned into it or even gave me shit back. Then like th- that's yeah, that that's what they should be doing, but they're not. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know either of those guys personally. I've never met either of them. So I can't, you know, they might be great. And they are. So uh, judge is a friend of a friend. Like I know someone that like knew him before he got drafted. They're like, yeah, he's like, he's a fun guy. He's funny. Like we love hanging out with him. Great guy. And I'm like, I'm not saying he's not a great guy. I'm just saying his sense of humor is probably not that great. If you can't, (laughs) if you can't laugh at yourself, if you can't lean into it with the dude that's just wearing you out every single night for years. And I don't know, like, I'm not going to like toot my own horn, here, but I don't know that there's anyone with a bigger audience who rides him harder than me. I don't think that that person exists. So if you were, if you were him, clap back. Like, it's not like there's no way that he doesn't know because like, I know the circles that he runs in and like the friends that he has, like, that's where the players see stuff. And I'm sure you can speak to this as well, but the players find out about people chirping them on Twitter because their friends or their family will see it and text it to them. It's not that like guys like Aaron Judge are sitting there searching his name on Twitter and reading through everything that everyone's saying. It'll be like his friends will be like, yeah, this dude's clowning you again. Like that, that's how they find out about that stuff. It's not like he doesn't know. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe someday he'll lean into it. That would be, you're right. It would be fucking hilarious if he did. Mm-hmm. Everyone would think that that would be great. You know, yeah. I don't know. I feel like sometimes dude, dudes who are like big time or whatever, or like they try to stay away from that because they think all these other people are going to be or if they like suck afterwards that people are going to talk shit and be like well he was doing this on twitter and now he's over his last 20 like just fucking worry about your job and right. all that stupid shit but i you know and for me personally i'm obviously like i said not nearly as big as those dudes but i found it is for sure better to lean into that stuff and mess with fans, talk shit with them. And they love, they love you. If you do that instead of, they might heckle you, but then it turns into like good fun. It's right. not like we don't fucking like you. You stink. It's, it's joking about whatever it is. Like at the end of the day, I am a baseball fan who somehow infiltrated the mainstream media. So, and I'm very open about, I have my stable of guys. And if you're not in that stable, you're just not protected. So like Luke Voigt, he's one of my guys. Gio Urshela, he's one of my guys. They they play for the Yankees. I won't say a bad word about either one of them. I'll, I'll every time that Luke Voigt tweets a home run, like I, I'll tweet his home runs. <laughs> I'll tweet him out, and then the Yankee fans will be like, "I was waiting for it to get caught." And I'm like, "I like Luke Voigt. If Aaron Judge just leaned into it, he'd be one of my guys, and I would never say a bad word about him ever again. I can be bought. I can one thousand percent be bought." If Aaron Judge was like, you know what? I love this guy. He's funny. I like him. Be like, boom. If he came on the podcast, next thing you know, I'm tweeting every single Aaron. I'm taking out, because I'm a stat geek at heart. So my favorite thing about baseball statistics is that there's just so many ways that you can manipulate them to make your favorite players look good and the ones that you don't like look bad. I love doing that shit. It's awesome. I would, if, if Aaron Judge wanted to join me, we, if we could join forces together, I would be tweeting all the most ridiculous Aaron judge statistics that people didn't even realize how good he was on a nightly basis. And who knows? I mean, like I may even endear myself to the Yankee fan base. Cause that's their guy. What do you think about that? Jay? Is that something I'm just curious. 
I mean, I've seen Judge do like Fallon. He seems like he has a personality. I'm more like can, like curious about Giancarlo Stanton. Is it safe to say we're going to see some Stantonian blasts coming from your account uh, on like a like a missed third strike? I mean, a Stantonian blast is actually there's a definition to that after uh, last the, the wild card game. We we now identify a, a Stantonian blast is a wall ball single. That's a Stantonian blast now. A Stantonian blast. Yes. Um, but I like John Carlo. He was, he was my favorite player before he went to the Yankees. He was my favorite player. Um, I gave him the nickname, uh, big Dick Stanton. And when I met him, he was already with the Yankees. By the time I met him, he was, he was playing in Yelich's celebrity softball tournament. And I was like, um, I was like, yeah, like, did you, have you heard the, the nickname big Dick Stanton? He was like, yeah. I was like, that was me. And he was like, Oh, well, thank you for that. And I was like, yeah, uh, I also torch you on every single Instagram picture that you post. And he's like, what do you say? I'm like, whatever the picture is or whatever the caption is, like, I'll just torch you based on what you're wearing, what you're doing, what you're saying and what the caption is. And he's like, all right, like, I respect that. And I was like, yeah, like, I, I was like, I'm not going to, I was like, I'll tell you your face like that. I'm, I'm going to clown on you, but it's only because you're on the Yankees before that you were one of my favorite players. Um, so yeah, like I'll still, I, like I'll clown on Stan because he, he was cool in person but he hasn't been on the podcast. So there's kind of like a middle ground where like, I love Stan. So if he hits a home run, that's, you know, 480 something feet, I'm going to tweet that highlight. But if he, but if he's, he has one of like the ugliest, like swings and misses on a pitch that he misses up or down or in or out by 20 feet. Like he, when he strikes out swinging, it's ugly. So I very much enjoy doing the troll tweets with him where it's like, yeah, he just hit one into the fifth deck and he missed on a slider away by 20 feet. So he, he gets the best of it. He's, he's one of the biggest, I think like tweener guys that, that I have on like a regular basis. When you look at the way the Yankees are built this year with, with Joey Gallo and all these free swingers, like, is that just going to be like open season for guys like you? Like, I, I don't, can, I don't see another way that the Yankees could be competitive when they have like nine of the same dudes in the lineup. So like when they, when they got Rugnet Odor and then they were interested in Gallo, it's almost like I got giddy. Like it's, I'm trying to think of like the correct comparison. Um, like if you were playing, like if you basically, if you were playing like a, like a, a fantasy baseball league and you're in the draft and then the two guys, like your the, your rival in that league picks some absolute shit bum and, and the guy that you want is still on the board. That's how it felt as a Red Sox fan. I was like, why do they keep adding all the same player over and over again? Like they're just adding these, these all or nothing hitters in their lineup. There's so much swing and miss in that lineup and they think that they're getting better. They're getting worse. Like as it, you, it's, it's strange to think that way when you're, you're saying to yourself, well, I'm a fan, so I can't be smarter than the people that are in the front office. Like that's, that's just not how that works. I'm just, I'm just a fan, but you're sitting there looking at it and like, this isn't going to work. There's no way this is going to work. And it didn't work. And like the Corey Kluber thing, you're like, you know, like the Yankee fans, after they signed Corey Kluber, I was getting a bunch of people trolling me being like, Oh, we got Corey Kluber. You guys got Garrett Richards. And it's like, Corey Kluber hasn't been good in four years. Like, what are you celebrating? It's like, yeah, he won two Cy Young awards, but like that was a long time ago. So yeah, I don't know. I, I, uh, it's, it makes it fun. It makes it fun to see them have hope. And it's almost like you're looking at a movie script 
and you can skip to the end. It's like, this is way more enjoyable in this particular moment because I can see how excited you are right now. But just looking to the end of this script, this is going to end awesome. Like you are going to be fucking in tears and the Red Sox are going to end your season. We were saying that in July, whatever it was, June, like once, once Tampa leapfrogged Boston and they got out to whatever lead that they got in the second half of the season, I was saying in July, August, you know, it would be awesome. I know the Red Sox probably aren't going to win the division at this point, but what if the Red Sox play the Yankees in the wild card game, do or die, and it's at Fenway Park and they end their season? I was saying that after the fucking all-star game. So that was, uh, that was enjoyable. I, won't, I don't want to say like that was our World Series because that's a loser mentality. Um, it, it wasn't. It was fun. I enjoyed it, but it's, that's, that wasn't our World Series. You know, when you got to Kansas City, they were obviously a, a lower tier team. They had 70 wins this year. And then within like a couple of years, you guys were hoisting a, a World Series trophy. Like so many franchises, I feel like can do the losing part really well. But like, what was it about those KC teams that made you guys get to the mountaintop in like three years? I think a big thing, a big thing with them is, is they preach winning in the minor leagues. And, you know, I know O can tell you it's, it's so hard to, to go in the minor leagues and try and find like a a team where it's actually like a team aspect, like where everyone's out going out there trying to win. Like, and, you know, I'll be the first one to tell you, it, it is hard to lock in like that. Cause you're trying to make the big leagues. You're trying to, you know, if you're in double A, you're trying to get moved up to triple A. So it's you, the individual performance has a lot to do with it, but at the same time, you're trying to be such a team guy that, you know, that, that can kind of, you know, get, that can mess with you a little bit, but I think it was just, we did so much stuff when we were in the minor leagues in Kansas city and we would do stuff in the off season too, whether it was like development camps, you know, the instructional league stuff. And it was always just preached to us that like, listen, this team, we can't go out and buy free agents. The only way that this team's going to win is if you guys develop into good major league, I know a good major league team. And that's the only way this city's going to have a championship in Kansas city. So I think that message was really just, it was just, you know, engraved in our heads that we're the group that's going to do it. Like, you know, if Moose don't pan out to be Moose, then that means, you know, I'm not going to be able to be a part of a championship team. And Salvi doesn't pan out to be Salvi, then that means we're going to be missing a big piece. So, you know, we all had that individual, like, damn, like, we got to do what we got to do to get to the big leagues. But at the same time, we all kind of were pushing each other because it's like, hey, man, like, you know, I want to get there, but I need you here with me too. So I think it was – it was. And it was so realistic for us to buy into that because, you know, if we're on the Yankees or the Red Sox, we'd be like, you know, yeah, right. They ain't building that between us. They're going to go out and sign somebody else. But I think with Kansas City, I think it was a realistic thought that there wasn't going to be any change unless we were the group to do that. That's, that's fascinating. Could you feel the differences year by year? So like going from 11 to when you guys hoisted the trophy in 15, like, could you feel the incremental, like, you know, each year we're getting better. Could, could you feel that? We definitely could. There was, in 13, I'll never forget it. I think the all-star break of 2013 is really like when it started like clicking. I think we we had a nine-day road trip to open up the second half. And we went like eight and one on that road trip. And the rest of the second half, we were we were lights out. And I remember, you know, Ned and, and Dayton, our GM, were like, hey, you know, we just we finished with the best record in all of baseball in the second half. If we can put this together throughout the course of 162 games, then you know, we'll be right where we need to be. And the next year we came out, we were high, we were looking good. And Detroit in our division, they were like, 
you know, that was like our checkup. Like we, we would have like a good two, three week stretch and we'd be feeling ourselves and we're like, yeah, man, we're rolling. We're good. And then Detroit would come to town and they would, they would crush us, man. They would beat us two or three or sweep us. And like, we were trying everything at this point. Like we would have three series at home and three series against Detroit. And we were like, we brought a boom box down into the tunnel one time. And we were trying to do like a football pregame thing to go up against them. Then the next thing you know, we're down seven, nothing in the first inning. And we're like, man, we can't, like, we cannot beat these guys, man. Like, I don't know what it is, but we just can't beat these guys. And we went that full year. We made the, we made the wild card game, uh, rolled past the angels and Baltimore beat Detroit that year. And it was like, man, like, Detroit's out of it. Now we got a real shot to do this. And it was crazy because in 14, we swept through the playoffs. So we got to the World Series. We were 8-0 then, ran into Bumgarner. And then, like, we're sitting at home in the offseason, and we're like, dude, what did we just do? Like, we just swept through the whole American League. We came down to game seven. We lost. And, like, from that point, it was so weird because when we were at game seven, like, we just knew we were going to win that game, man. Like, there was no, like, ounce in our body and our system that felt like we were going to lose like we were like dude we're going to win this game we're going to go to Vegas after this we're going to party like we're going to do all this and we lost and I'll never forget we're sitting in the locker room after for like two hours and like we're all still full uniform the front office the GM's in there the you know Dayton walked around one each chair by each chair just thanking everybody for their efforts and all that and we all just kind of looked at each other and we're like man like we got to find a way to get back on this stage and we know it's not the same group of guys, but majority of that group came back. And 15 from day one, I mean, we were just locked in from spring training from there on out. And it's amazing what we did to get all the way back up there. But the focus and the intent for everybody was just so everybody was there in the moment. There's there's one other thing. I, like the, the way that these Royals teams were built, it was so radically different than I feel like anything else in the big leagues. Like I'm an Orioles fan and like all they did was hit home runs. But like you guys played like small ball, you're stealing bases. It was like, st- like station to station. Like how did that come to be? Was that like a top down organizational thing? Or like how did you guys know that you guys are going to be a team that would play small ball? I think that's credit to Dayton and his staff with the front office because Kansas City, Kauffman Stadium is a bigger stadium. So they literally built this team. We're like, we're going to have good pitching. We're going to be athletic and we're going to play good defense. So, you know, there would be teams where they would come into Kansas city and you can kind of see the age in the team. Cause there's so much ground to cover in the outfield. And, you know, we hit a ball in the gap and some of our guys could run, man, we were getting triples, you know, and almost inside the parkers just because of how much space and how much ground there was out there. And I just think the team was built so perfectly for that stadium that in 15, we ended up having home field advantage. And I think that's the reason why we beat Toronto because Toronto is so good in Toronto. Those guys can crush homers. And same thing with Baltimore in 14. You know, you face those guys in Baltimore and it's like, man, like you got Nelly Cruz, Manny, and Chris Davis that you make a mistake at any point in time. You just, you kind of know they're going to hit one. You just hope that there's not guys on base. And, you know, I'll never forget, we were playing Baltimore in that round and we had a, the media had asked us, you know, we played the first two games in Baltimore and we were up to nothing and we got back to Kansas city and they're like, Hey, you know, you guys are a team built on pitching and defense. And all of a sudden you're hitting all these home runs. Like how'd that happen? And I'm like, my man, just go stand at home plate and look at the right field wall in Baltimore. And then look at the right field wall in Kansas city. And there's your answer for you right there, man. So, you know, we just had that flexibility as a team. We can adapt to whatever park we're playing in and you kind of use that as a strength. That team was – those teams were electric, though. Like, I remember watching them games. 
that bullpen dude just coming out, yeah. those guys coming out throwing flames, like yeah, man. Those the teams... bullpen bullpen was nasty. I mean, everybody just bought into their role, man. Like, you know, it's you want to play, you want to be out there every day, but you know, our extra outfitter, Dyson, and our extra infielder, your boy Flies. Christian Cologne. Yeah, like those guys, man, like they could have easily been so checked out and be like, oh, this is bullshit. I should be playing every day, whatever. But they were just ready, man. CC didn't have an at bat. Literally, he got the game winning hit in the World Series. Didn't have an at bat the whole month before that, and came up facing Addison Reed. This dude's a slider monster, sinker baller, right on right, and puts a great swing on a two strike. And like, I'll never forget, man. Like him, Dyson, and Johnny Gomes were in that batting cage every third through like six inning, and they were either doing a machine, they were doing some velo. Like those guys were so ready to go when their time was up or called on. Like, we don't win without those guys, man. Like, CC going a whole month coming up doing that. It's it's so big, so key, man. Dude, CC is one of my favorite guys I've played with because everything you just talked about with uh, the Royals culture and, like, winning and stuff, dude, in, in 19 when I was with him in Louisville, like, he, still, he was still that fucking way. Like, yeah. wanted to win, like, didn't give a shit about, like, he was still the same way there. So, it's just – you know, he had yeah. a game when he hit the World Series, won a World Series, and he's in AAA still grinding, like, trying to teach yeah. guys this is what you got to fucking do to be good. And it's, it's just Dude, cool. 100%. And, and you know what, man? Both those guys, and it, it's a credit to who they are as competitors, because both those guys were pissed, you know? They should be like, I can play every day. Like, I know I can play every day in this league. And at that point in time, you know, thank God we had a guy like Johnny Gomes who is a veteran guy, and he's like, look, man, like, it's bigger than all of us right now. Like this is about winning a world championship. And honestly, man, like without CC's mentality and having that, I should be in there every day. You got to be a confident dude to go up there in a world series setting in New York, not having that bat in a month. Not, you know, not only two strikes, all these things you put against them, but you got to have some confidence to go up there and get that big hit for your boys, man. And CC knew he was going to do it, man. That's what was so great about it. You're giving me you know? chills right now talking about it. It's awesome. I got chills. Uh, right there. I get chills <laughs> talking about it. That's so cool, dude. dude. No, you're you're right, man. Fun. I mean, CC was a first rounder in his own right. Like that dude, that dude could play. So 100%. to adjust to that role and, and be ready like that, man, it's you know, it's just it's just really cool. And for anybody who's gone through it or just come up through the minors like that or has pinch hit, done any of that shit, like they know how hard that is and and what it means to be ready to uh yeah. to be called about in that moment like that man it's, he was ready man you could even see when he got the first he's like looking at the dugout he's like i told you like i told you guys you know what i mean like he was ready. i to can go, picture man. him he's, doing it perfectly that's so funny uh, what a man, guy man. um best that was the greatest the greatest base hit i've ever seen in my life dude i can't even <laughs> i can't even tell you the joy i was just screaming like i wasn't even saying yeah nothing i was just ah, i was just so happy dude Dude, yeah, what's – I mean, what's that feeling like when you when you, when you you guys won? You're just floating, man. Like, you you literally are just floating the whole time. Like, it's a good, like, week, week and a half where, you know, you go from going to New York, we win, we go to the hotel, we get a little, you know, banquet room in there, hang out all night. The bus is at 7 the next day. You know, we're all going back to the room, throwing some clothes on, uh, throw some stuff in a suitcase or whatever. We get to the bus and like I like go to lean my head back to like get a little nap before the plane. 
And Johnny Gomes just comes up and he's like, champs don't sleep. And he hands me two beers. And I'm like, all right, I guess we ain't sleeping today, you know? Then we're on the plane. Like, we're on the plane. We're playing cars, doing our normal thing. Ned comes to the back of the plane. And Obama was the president at the time. And he's like, hey, guys. And he has his phone on speaker. And he's like, Obama wants to say congratulations. And, like, it's like Obama. And he's like, hey, you know, congratulations to the Kansas City Royals. And we're just like, what is happening, dude? Like, what is happening right now? So, it's a good week and a half, two weeks of like just floating and not not really understanding where you're at. That's so Dude, that I went is, back <laughs> and I've been on both ends, buddy. I, I can tell you, I can tell you, I can tell you what it feels like to lose one of them things too. That ain't fun either. That's so funny. So when when did the Tonight Show appearance come come into play? Because I went back on YouTube and watched that. It was uh, it was it was something. They brought out like fake Brett Saberhagen and real Brett Saberhagen. Uh, what, yeah. what, was, what was your what was your Tonight Show experience like? Tonight Show experience. So that was we literally just get off the float and just get off the plane. So this is how crazy it is too, because we're just getting off the float in the parade in Kansas City, and our PR guy comes up to us and he's like, "All right," he's like, "We got Jimmy Kimmel in New York and Jimmy Fallon in uh, in California. Who wants to do what?" And Moose is like, "Well, I live in California, so I'll just go do Kimmel." And I'm on the East Coast, so I'll just go do uh, this guy. And we're like, oh, my God, like, what is going on? So, like, it literally just felt like like the Royals just took over the world for, like, three or four days, man. It was crazy. Yeah, no, it, it was it was very, very funny. Um, yeah, so, like, you know, you know, 2015 happens. You guys win the World Series. Like, what was the what was the mentality heading into the next year? Was it like was it all systems ago? Like, how did you did, did you guys think that it was it was the plan to go back again and try to get another one? Yeah, we certainly did, man. We, we really did want to repeat, but we had lost a couple key pieces. Um, it was a tough year after that. That's the year uh, that offseason, you know, Ventura passed away. So there was a lot going on with our team, man. There was a lot going on as far as uh, those missing pieces that we would, uh, you know, we would have spurts where we would get hot, but we could never just really keep anything together for that long period of time. But, um, you know, the beautiful thing about that was, you know, Dayton and his front office, they really did whatever they could for us to win. And, you know, they they pretty much depleted their farm system within those years. And they went out and got Cueto and Zobrist and some of those key pieces for us in the bullpen. So, you know, that was the fun part was playing for a manager, and a general manager that's like, hey, man, we're going balls to the wall. We're trying to win this thing every year from here on out. So it was definitely a different feeling those first couple of years. And then after making the playoffs, we're like, all right, we're expecting to win and we're doing whatever we can to win. Man, that what a great run that was, though. And yeah, that's dude. Aside from missing pieces and obviously Ventura, that was terrible. Um, yeah, it's it's fucking hard, man. It's hard. It's hard to win it once, let alone to do it again. You know, so dude, it is, man. It is. You uh, and even like every sport, man. You see, like the team that won it the last year, it's so hard for them to repeat. Like I don't know if it's just that extra those extra games just take stuff out of you, and it's hard to recover from it. But it, it's hard, man. It's hard to repeat. Is it is that is a tough place to be? Is that a tough uh, time for a player to be on a team that's purposely tanking? Well, <clears throat> I think the players never ever do that. Ever, the players are never like, well, you know what? I know Gary Cole's fishing night. Let's just fold in them, just carve our asses up. Nah, Gary Cole, them out. This is this this is your time to shine. So it's it's kind of like a, you know, if you I watch I watch all baseball. And the thing with the Orioles was 
the first five, six innings, they play good, then the bullpen gets it up. You know, they grind, like I've seen them, they grinded out Cole, Otani, all the top pitchers, they grinded them out. But then, you know, take the three to four lead, whatever, and then, you know, with the Yankees, you know, somebody going to walk in a home run. That always happens in eighth or ninth inning. That's just how the Yankees play. How they, especially at Camden Yards. That's just how they roll. I've been, I've seen a lot of it. We're up three, to, we have five, three. Swisher walks, Jeter walks, and then Tashara launches some shit, or or or, or A Rod launches something. You know what I mean? I'm just like, this is like it. This is how ah, pitch has been carving. Like, but so it, it's it's got a. I don't think any player ever is like, you know, hey man, don't give it all your day. No, we giving it all. Now personnel is different. You know what I mean? Personnel is is different. Now if you're going against somebody from the you know the depths of the minors. Probably not. That's just the replacement players is basically what, you, what you're calling. And, you know, giving them uh, the chance to make their first debut, I think is great because to make your debut, to be one of those numbers is one of the best things. But are some of those guys major league type players that they really want? Or are they just guys that these are guys who they have? You know what I mean? Like it just sucks, but the Orioles market can't compete with the Yankees market or Boston's market because they're right there. So what they're doing is great. What Elias is doing is fantastic. He had the drafts he's got. It's great, but I don't think it was intentional. Like, okay, well, I, well, I think when you, talk, when you think about it, I think it's like the the players are like, well, we're gonna go out and play our ass off. I think the organization is like, well, we're just not gonna spend a lot of money. I think when you, I think that's the part. If you say the word tanking, I think the organization is just like, well, I'm just not gonna spend a lot of money. And if you don't spend money in the game, you ain't gonna win that well, unless you're Tampa, which they their model. I don't know what the hell that model is. But damn, they spend. They, I mean, there's players that make more than they whole damn uh, team and. They right there every year, every year. I think I think out of my eleven years there with like, playing against them, I think two years they were bad. Like they just Madden went over there and changed a bunch of things, and that that formula just sticks. And but for the most part, you have to spend money to to win. And I just think that the fans think that okay, well, we don't have any players making money as soon as you know, like man, right now Mancini's going to be a trade candidate because he's about to get he's going to work himself up to seven, eight, maybe ten million dollars. That's expensive for them, but they just signed Jordan Lyles to seven million. So it's like, okay, are you like trying to spend some money? Is Lyles going to come and help mentor a couple guys? You know, Mullins, Mullins is still, he has another year. Then you got um, Means is arbitration eligible. So it's like, you know, it's like how at the A's do it. When guys start to make big money, they trade them because their market can't support it. And, but they had the next guy because their minor leagues and how they do it, their system is so damn good. And, you know, those, those are like really the anomalies because you got other guys like like the Angels that spent a boatload of money. Stink. But I think they're going to be better this year because they got pitchers. That's the whole thing. Is they, they, they always needed the arms. You know what I mean? They, they needed the, the top arms. That was always their thing. You can't outslug people. And you just ain't going to just outslug everybody on Major League Night. Mike Trout go three for four, two home runs, they lose seven to three. You know what I mean? So – they got some arms to, to make it be hopefully four or three so somebody can hit a solo arm at a time. You know what I mean? You brought up personnel, and I have uh, a very nerdy Orioles question, uh, so yeah. bear with me. Um, I, I think back to the 2014 offseason where you guys are coming off the ALCS and you have all this momentum, yeah. and then all these free agents like Marcakis and Miller and Cruz, Cruz. They, they let them go in free agency. What were the yeah. conversations like in that offseason, like behind the scenes? Like I, I remember you trying to lobby for Marcakis especially, but – can you take me back to that offseason, just all what what took place from your perspective? Well, I think those I think that was the, those years were our years to those were our years to do it to do it. Fourteen was our year, and it sucked because we had three big ass injuries: Machado, 
Davis suspension, no, Machado, Davis suspension, and then um, uh, Weeders. So we had three big guys gone. Eh, that's no excuse. It is what it is. Royals were fantastic, too. Um, but it just, I don't know, you know what I mean? I'm trying, I'm trying to think of the proper way to say it. You just got to, you just got to go out. Like, I don't know. You just got to not be afraid. Like, I, so I'm trying to, like, really word it the correct way and re-ask the question so I can, you know, rethink it. No, it's just, like, the, the behind-the-scenes aspects of, right. like, you, like I said, you guys had all this momentum. You're, you're, all, you're a, a series away from going to the World Series, which for Baltimore is yep. unheard of. Um, and then to have all these key pieces let go in free agency with the organization right. seemingly unwilling to, to fork over the money for them. Like, was, was that hard in that all season? And did you kind of lobby for anybody especially? Okay. So with that, we knew Miller was gone. He's going to get, he's a reliever. They're not paying, the Warriors ain't paying $9 million for a reliever. That is, they ain't doing it. That, that free agent reliever. Now, if you did it through arbitration, like Britain started to make, Jim Johnson started to make money. But you see, once they started to make money, at the back end, they started to trade him. Cruz and Marquecas are the interesting cases because I just think the medicals, they went so hard on the medical that they went on that only. Both of their medicals said year four of a contract potential, they both won't be of value. Okay. I understand that as you know, you got, you got Marquecas being 34. I mean, he was, Marquecas was 33, 32. Yeah. Going, you know, just getting older. I get it. I get it. I get it. Marquecas in his fourth year was an all-star. Is one of his career best years of his career. Uh, won a third go glove as a 36-year-old, year four of the contract. Um, Nelson Cruz went only one year he had under 40 in a hundred, one only one year he had under 40 in those four years in Seattle. He went 39 was one year. Who got this wrong? Because you got guys that have proven over their career to be healthy. I think that's when you prove guys to be healthy, health and playing is something that you just have to value more. They don't value. I remember when I was a free agent, they were saying, well, you, it hurt me in free agency because I played so much. So because I posted, I, I got traded. Of course, I get it. You know, you play, you play, I played 1,499 games in 10 years. That will, that's a lot of trade. That was the number one player games play. And in center field, it's a lot of trade. But you mean to tell me that, like, that's not valued? You can count on me. There's a lot of players you can't count on that got long-term deals that year. And I'm like, well, I mean, you can count on me. It's been very proven. You can 100% count on me. And, you know, sometimes it, it went to the wayside. So, you know, you got to bite the bullet sometimes. <laughs> the medical aspect, too, because you're right, the, the Orioles medical team always had these off-season things like Grant Balfour and Tyler Colvin and Dexter Fowler. Yep. Like these, They would get so close, and then the medicals would come back, and they just wouldn't sign them. Like did any exactly. of that? Like, but then, impact- but then you get Kobe. Yeah. But then you sign Kobe Rasmus like that. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I loved Kobe too. Kobe was a great guy. You know, he battled his own uh, his own things. But he, when he was there, dude was awesome. Played hard. Played his ass. Funny as hell. So, uh, but I'm just saying, it's like, why do certain cases work and certain ones don't? And you know, like again, that's why I think as I get older, you know, I want to be on the front office side so that I can understand why and how they think. Because when you're a player, you think one way. I want to play. I, you know, I, I just want to play and perform, make it play, win, make as much money as I can. Like our mindset is different. The front office, they're not thinking about today. They're thinking about like months, years down the road. Everything is a process on the front office side. So that's why I say like, oh, we're in a, when they use the term, uh, uh, 
um, let's stick with the process or rebuild. That's mean you have four years of ass and then hopefully they get a little bit better. Hopefully, you know what I mean? Because again, you got guys that are going to start making more money and guys, you know, like again, Mancini is going to be in the free agent. He's going to be free agent this year. Can you resign him? How much money is he You haven't tried to lock him up already. And I think they should have already tried, but why would you when you got Mountcastle behind him? You know what I mean? Like, so, but that's a good problem to have. And our years when we were good, we had good problems. We had too many good guys. And that's always a, that's always a good problem to have is when you, when you, you know, when you have multiple options, it's always a really good option. One more uh, like Orioles question. Um, would you ever voice your concerns to like Buck in the hopes that he would run it up the flagpole to, to front office or like, you know, especially going back to like, you know, got certain guys, you think guys would be a great fit. Did you ever like, you know, run that up the, the chain of command in the hopes that it would get, you know, to the well, ears of Dan? Well, I mean, we, we all, we we're always around each other. So we would, you know, around the batting cage or in the clubhouse, you know, we see Dan and like, you know, I'll see Dan, like, hey, hey, Dan. Hey man, you know, I mean, what, what I ask him, like, you know, what are we trying to do to, you know, improve? And he's all, you know, always the professional answer, you know, we're always looking to improve ourselves and stuff. But, you know, with Buck, Buck was definitely more straightforward. If you had an idea, just run it to Buck. If you had an idea about something, you know, if you, if you felt a way about something, it didn't matter what it was. Uh, if it was organization, it was something, just, you know, Buck was very good about, um, about getting things done. If that's the proper way to you know really say it, he got things done. If you really you really wanted something done, he got it done. You know, with trades and all that kind of stuff. Again, we're in Baltimore, so you know sometimes we didn't have the trade pieces. Like we gave away Hater for Para. I know they beat the shit at them. Oh, oh, we gave away Brault. We get oh. You know what I mean? So it's it's like that that side, the front office side, is completely different. But Para would if 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 Para played how he was playing in, in Milwaukee, he would have helped our team immensely. Like how we got Deaza and how we got McLeod, how they helped us. And we had to give pieces. We had to give something away from them. Not much, but Hater. We gave away Hater. That was a big one. That was a big one. But that's just you know that's why I want to learn the other side of it because the players play the front in in the front office front offices. I, yeah, you mentioned it in your your Instagram caption, where it's just like either coaching or front office. You, you do look good in a suit, by the way. So uh, you know, yeah, maybe maybe a camo suit to the front office there. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I just uh, actually I lied. One more, uh, just just yeah. a Buck Showalter question. Um, oh, Buck how much awesome. of a how much of a joy was it to to show up to the to the yard every day and play for Buck? Amazing, because he wanted to win every day. And like he put you, but he put you so he put you in a situation to win. It's not just like go out and do it. It's like all right, our lineup was good, our defense was good, so he just put us in a situation to succeed. And he just, you know, he had simple rules: play the game hard, play it smart. Like that, like, like you know what I mean, the ball hit 110 off a bat. Best of luck catching it. He'd say that, like, shit, that was hit hard. I wouldn't have caught that shit. <laughs> like you caught it. Best of luck. Like damn, he understood that the game was hard. You know what I mean? Awesome. You get a like you can get a ball hit to you at hundred and hit right at you. That shit's hit hard. <laughs> it's hit hard, and you make you may catch it. And, be, and like you said, you got to see Manny. Manny's just over there like, eh. yeah. And he just gets the ball, and just flicks it over the first base, and just <laughs> right in the chest every time. Boom, boom. But then you see other guys like work hard to do what Manny does. So easy. Like he's just so and like Tatis is starting to get there, but Tatis is still like. 
You know what I mean? Manny's just like, just jelly. You know, yeah, we mean? talked about this uh, with with uh, Ben and Woods, San Diego radio guys that we had on before, mm-hmm. and no, it, dude, no, nobody does it like Manny, bro. I don't, nobody. I haven't seen anybody be that smooth and effortless in just making plays like that. Like it's, it's easy. Crazy. All day, but the thing is, it's like people get mad at, it, so it's like, damn, he looked easy. That was easy, Manny. But if he makes a mistake, he didn't, he didn't try. No. He did try. He just missed the motherfucker because the ball's crushed, okay? And he don't miss a month. He don't miss a lot because he's long. He got really long arms. You know what I mean? Play deep. Like, he's such a good third baseman. He does so many things just fantastic. And he has an absolute cannon. Absolute cannon that makes up for anything. I mean, hand, he's – I mean, that's why I said him, Chapman, and Arenado. I yeah. think the most fluid – I think fluid is Machado. Just fluidity, Machado. And obviously Machado, he's a Latin, so a little bit more, you know, just a, more, a, little, a little more suave than us Americans, put a little more concrete. <laughs> Your minor league journey in general is crazy because what round did you get drafted in? Uh, 18th. 18th round, so not super high. Nope. But you show up. And you just hit the shit out of the ball. <laughs> There's no other way to put it. That's all you did was hit the shit out of the ball for five years or whatever it was, four years. Yeah, I mean, uh, been a crazy career, but I've, I've always hit. So that's what's keeping me around. Oh, I lost yeah. But there we go. Once you, you know, you get to the higher levels and you're hitting like you did in AAA for, for what, two years, two straight years? Mm-hmm. I mean, how are you not getting a shot at that point? Like, I I did that for four months, and I was like, all right, what is going on here? You did it for two full years. No, it was, it was crazy. I mean, it was frustrating. I think 17, uh, finished the year over 330, <laughs> and uh, just had no chance. And, I, I mean, it was tough. It was like my second time at that point getting player of the year, and, you know, they have us out on uh, congratulate us on the field before a Royals game. And I'm like, this is my second time in a suit on this field. The next year is my third time in a suit on this field. Like I'm, I'm tired of getting the, uh, you know, the trophy. I just want to play. I don't care. Like, you know, I uh, see half the roster when it was September call-ups back then, you know, half the guys I played with are, you know, Hey, good job, Frank. I'm like, yeah, appreciate it. And, you know, <laughs> But stuff like that, I mean, it was just, it was a little frustrating, but, you know, I was behind a, a couple of really good players. So, you know, they say right place, right time while you're hot. And, you know, it didn't – the formula didn't add up for me yet and then finally got a shot. So, kept grinding it out, still grinding it out, and, you know, let it ride. That, that's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at your minor league numbers, like Brian was saying. They're, they're fantastic. At every level of the minors, you hit the crap out of the ball. Um, but I, I think you kind of just alluded to it. Like, I feel like at every point you've kind of been blocked position wise. I think it was like Miguel Cabrera and Mitch Moreland and Hosmer. Like, how did you stay positive throughout those times when, when you know that you're good enough to get to the next level, but there's like factors outside of your control? Uh, yeah, I think once I just started trying to have more fun and not worried about anything else, it's when I started to take off a little bit. Um, you know, it's like, I'm just, it's, it's easier said than done to control what you can control. Cause you saw, you know, see, you see guys go up and down that don't necessarily have the numbers or, you know, guys that go up and still struggle and still stay there. But, um, 
you know, I was just like, you know what, it's, it's playing baseball. I'm not working a real job. So just keep swinging it. And, you know, if it's meant to be, it's going to happen eventually. Well, it definitely happened this year. Shit. But you <laughs> ended up, you started, you were with the A's this year, right? You started, yep. I remember seeing it, seeing it in spring. And then of course we play in spring. Jay, I'm there. I started that game. So I, I, I left early because, you know, I was pulling a big show move. Got out of the game <laughs> early when I came out. Um, and Frank, you you subbed into that game, right? You didn't start that game? Yeah, I believe I got in sixth or seventh. And I'm looking, I'm like driving home with my wife and I'm looking at like the game or whatever. And uh, you hit a walk. Was it a walk-off homer? No, I just hit a homer. I, I just just late game smoked one off the pole. So. <laughs> I'm so like looking at my phone. It's like Homer Frank Swindell. I'm like, oh fucking weird. Another homer. <laughs> uh, that was funny. That was off uh, Ramirez. I faced him five <laughs> oh, five man. times a week in the alt site. Yeah. So yeah. Sit and change up. Uh, got one. But uh, that's yeah. funny. Old Rammy. What a guy. Yeah. That's uh. If I ever face. Rami, I think I'm. I think I'll be sitting change up too. If you ever, oh yeah, hundred percent. Listens to this. If you're a righty, no doubt. Lefty, I still think I'm sitting change up. Um, <laughs> yeah, me and Rami spent a lot of time together this this year. We were on. Yeah, he's on, a great dude. The same train, same train for a while over there in uh, El Paso to San Diego. Um, oh yeah. But so you finally you f- no well you, wait wait you debuted with the Royals didn't you or no? I debuted with the Royals yeah. in nineteen. Uh, yeah. but I mean, I think 14 at bats total or something. So I started yeah. opening day, didn't play for a week, a uh, couple, <laughs> couple spot starts off lefties. Uh, I think I was like, Oh, for whatever. And then see you later. Clearly you were not good enough. Obviously. No, <laughs> no, it happens. Yeah, that totally. I mean, that, that sample size would definitely say to me like this dude doesn't have it. So again, <laughs> but you end up with the A's this year, so you get called up by the A's this year, and then what? What happens? Uh, first day, a little better. Homer first at bat, punch out the second one, trying to do it again, <laughs> and then uh, no, it's it's similar. I started three for ten, so it was a much better start. And then uh, you know, over the rest couple of games, it was like you know, same thing. Spot start here, pinch hit here versus a guy throwing a hundred pinch hit versus uh Adovano or the guy on the Red Sox with you know nasty slider so I mean that's hardest thing to do is hit a baseball in the big leagues and then coming off the bench and doing it good luck hey you are preaching to the choir oh yeah did you see the did you see the stat uh I seen the stat all over like um they were they were lobbying for the DH forever I think pinch hitters hit like 150 this year with like almost a strikeout per at bat so well, if that's the numbers. If that's the numbers for pinch hitters, then I feel a lot better about myself because I'm oh, yeah. above that. Yeah, I'm, yep. I'm, I'm a little <laughs> bit above that average, so we're good. Perfect. Um, that's awesome. So what? You so you after Oakland, were you claimed by the Cubs then, or just, was there another stop in there? No, that was it. So I was uh, sent down from Oakland during the All Star break. So they were nice enough to let me go home. For two days instead of going to Reno so I went I went home uh actually put in an offer on the house I'm living in now so it was like nice you know we, we made the best out of a shitty situation but um yeah then we go to Iowa and uh 
They, so the Cubs, I, okay, let me back up. We go back to Vegas, have a nice 0 for 4 first game back, you know, coming down off the, the big league high. And then uh, <laughs> next day I walk in, my name's not in the lineup. I'm like, oh, no. So then sure enough, I go in the manager's office and manager's the best guy I ever played for. So he brings me in. It was a tough conversation, but uh, he's just like, oh, yeah, I mean, hopefully this is a, you know, hopefully this is a good thing, which is tough to believe at the time. But then uh, he's just like, just just keep hitting, keep being you and see what happens. So then I go to Iowa and absolutely, well, Iowa homered the first at bat there in Columbus and then absolutely stink for, you know, the rest of the week. And then all the stuff happened with uh, the trades and whatnot, and then go up to the Cubs. So just a roller coaster. And never look back after that. Columbus, phenomenal place to hit. Love that place. Oh, oh. Especially for a lefty. That's awesome. Oh, dude. I, I have a couple there. I have a couple there. <laughs> yep. Probably uh, a couple field goals through the, the goalposts <laughs> over there, too. And uh, I heard Iowa was actually pretty cool. Were you there at all? You were never there. No, oh, I don't know. Like I was Iowa. there. I don't, I, don't, I don't like Iowa. Not playing there. But uh, yeah, I think I had 140 at bats against the Iowa Cubs through <laughs> Omaha. So they knew me pretty good over there. Yeah, it sounds like it. That's funny. Then, uh, so you get called up. And did you, was it just immediate? Like, were you just raking right away? Or were there a couple games in the beginning you struggled and then just took off? Um, It was. It was, a, I thought it was going to be a similar situation. You know, I got up there. Um, I think I got to the dugout probably in the second inning of my first game. Quite and, uh, you know, w- Wisdom was hitting the shit out of the ball. He's over at first. So I'm like, yeah, that's probably, you know, hang out on the bench, uh, make a couple bucks, pinch hit here and there. So then, yeah, I didn't play the first game. I got one pinch hit at bat the second game for, you know, defensive replacement for the pitcher or whatever, or pinch hitter and then not go in. Uh, um so I popped up there and then didn't play the game, third game. So I'm like, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. I'm in the big leagues, but, you know, not really playing. I'm kind of used to it. And then uh, that first game in Colorado, I started and then started every game since. So it was awesome. That's so cool. I was just sitting there, like, following this. I'm like, this is fucking awesome, first of all. But I'm like, just goes to show you, like, what happens when you get an opportunity to just play. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I, you know, I mean, I've said it. Uh, I don't know what interview or whatever, but just just the fact that uh, Skip came up and he's like, "You're our guy." I mean, you're uh, don't have to worry. You're going to be in the lineup every day, and I'm like, "That's awesome." I mean, I knew the Cubs weren't necessarily making the World Series last year, so I had I had really no pressure and just go out there and be myself. You know, I think uh, a lot of people got to see what I can do. Yeah, that has to be the best i haven't had that happen to me yet but i can imagine that that is the best feeling you could ask for oh yeah just be like hey i'm gonna be in the lineup but is that was there any other adjustment for you like mechanics or approach or anything or just getting getting to know the game better or was it just as simple as consistent play in time hey you're the guy taking that pressure kind of off the biggest part for me is just having, they had the confidence in me to just, you know, throw me out there every day and see what happens. But, um, you know, this, the thing I really worked on this year was the, uh, the approach aspect. Um, I mean, I'm always been a very aggressive hitter, but you know, I, uh, really good bat to ball skills, which is good and bad. So like those pitches, those borderline ones that, you know, that I'm putting in play, but not necessarily hard, just, just take that and, 
you know, the Cubs, the Cubs were really good because when I, I first got over, they were showing me um, my zone versus, you know, the average MLB, like blah, blah, blah. And uh, they said, when I'm, when I swing at strikes and, you know, take away the corners, I'm, I'm, you know, an elite hitter. And it was nice to hear that rather than, Hey, Frank, just swing at strikes. I'm like, no shit. I can, <laughs> I could tell the, you know, little league kids that, but uh, they, they took the time to like, you know, break it down. And, you know, you're this good on this pitch. You're this good in this zone. And uh, not necessarily that I would look for it, but it was just, you know, the, the old confidence thing that they, you know, they believed in me, you know, they picked me up when I was down and I try to narrow down the zone a little bit, limit the swings per at bat and then uh, go from there. Last season on the Cubs, uh, from a fan's perspective, to, to see the core break up, to see all the trades in the July trade deadline, uh, and to see guys like Rizzo leave, like I think you made your your debut like the day after Rizzo like got shipped out. Like, did you feel any outside pressure stepping into that situation? Uh, to be honest, I didn't care. Uh, it it was tough because you know he was so loved, and uh, you know I feel I felt like they were gonna hate me regardless because that you know they had that was their guy. So I was just like, well it'd be if I stink they're gonna boo me anyway and if I'm good maybe uh maybe they won't hate me as much so then like you know that first series they had the we want Rizzo chance and I would just look over I'm like clap 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 clap, clap. <laughs> but then uh you know a couple of weeks in there they were cheering for me too so I just I just knew it wasn't you know the ideal situation but like I said I was playing first base for the Chicago Cubs nobody was gonna take that you know happiness from me yeah, like, like, who's this guy? Like, I think you might have just answered it, but, like, how long did it take you to get completely comfortable in that situation where, you know, you're, you're comfortable playing every day and you're comfortable with the way that fans view you? Uh, I would say a couple of weeks. Once I had a, strung together a couple of good games, but I think the uh, the Labor Day weekend when we were on the seven-game win streak and, you know, I had a you know a couple game-winning hits in a row, I think that's when uh, this guy doesn't suck too bad. We can we can hop on hop on board for at least the rest of the season. Hit him with your uh, your question about the Reds, the old uh, bad blood that year. I can't talk about that. Well, yeah, I mean the Pirates Reds rivalries. I think it was was it twenty nineteen when everything kind of happened. That was just a yeah. wild time. Like, could you feel that late <laughs> in the season, even after everything went down? Like, could you still feel the residual bad blood from those games against the Reds? Uh, I wouldn't say me personally. No, I have a lot of friends over there that uh just from playing together in the past or from nashville or wherever it may be but uh but that was fun that was a lot of fun <laughs> uh, <laughs> we had three brawls i think in one year or two years so that was uh that was fun and especially you know <clears throat> just the way way they all played out too uh, we were actually talking about it a couple nights ago <clears throat> i think dietrich's name got brought up and uh i mean some impressive pimp jobs he did but dude i mean he hit him in the river so you can't even really be mad, but uh, yeah, it was uh, that was fun, dude. It was. I remember when the the mirror thing when he kind of went after the dugout. I remember I was up all night, you know, you answering answering the calls and all that, but it got the blood going. I couldn't go to bed. So it was, yeah, that's uh, I love that stuff. So it's good. <clears throat> Ryan, did that did that coincide? Were you on that Reds team in late 2019? So I missed I missed the brawls. I I made my debut like right after. Because the big joke, all right, that year I was owning Indianapolis and in AAA the entire season. So we kind of had some bad blood down there, too. They threw it my head. And we already talked about this on this podcast, J.A., yeah. They threw it my head. They missed. I ducked. Uh, I didn't drop my bat. 
it hit my bat for a foul ball. Um, and then next pitch I hit over the center field fence and threw my bat about 20 feet in the air. Um, but you hit uh, your first homer against us too, right? In Pittsburgh, right? No, my second one. I took uh I took our other buddy uh Austin Adams deep in Seattle actually for my for my first one. Nice. So uh, yeah. Yeah, he threw a fastball. It was, it was a different he wasn't uh the old slider guy yet, but he still was the old slider guy. But when you guys when the like last brawl happened, it was the trade deadline, right? Or like right around that. So we just finished a game, I think we were in Toledo. And, you know, we come back in the clubhouse and the game, your guys' game is on, the Reds and Pirates is on, and we see all this happen. But the funniest fucking part was Puig had just been traded to the mm-hmm. to the Indians. And so we all have it on our phone, like on Twitter, everything. Like Puig's not even fucking on the Reds anymore. And here he is trying to fight the entire Pirates fucking team in a Reds uniform, and we're all just sitting there, like, dying laughing. Like, Puig's literally an Indian, and he's out here trying to fight everybody in a Reds uniform. It was hysterical. Uh, that was great. Yeah, they, they left him on the field or something. Next thing you know, we're brawling. <laughs> yeah, dude, and now, yeah, now you're with Winker. It's so funny. Can, can you take me through the anatomy of uh, a baseball brawl? Because they're, they're very chaotic, like, and obviously you don't want to be the guy that finds himself on the bottom of the pile whenever that happens so like from your perspective if somebody's got a little brawl experience like where do you try to position yourself do you like to get against the back like the backdrop or whatever like where do you where do you want to be and where do you not want to be in a baseball brawl well then i'm going in uh i know like we got we cleared with uh the mets last year and i was in there like the stroman and uh who was it uh nagowski for us and uh you know mccann gets oh, yeah. a, I'm going in. I went in. I'm going in first. It's just when you go in, you got to make sure you got your head on the swivel so you're not catching one, uh, you know, from somebody behind or something. But like one of, for example, one of those uh, Reds brawls uh, in Pittsburgh, you know, I'm just kind of stuck in the mix. And then you're just like, damn, I want to get my foot stepped on and freaking knee caught up and everything else. So um, you just got to be careful with it. But I remember Sonny, you know, who I know pretty well from, you know, working out of Vanderbilt and stuff, living in Nashville he comes in and puts me in a headlock and I'm like, who's got me in a headlock right now. And I completely forget Sonny's on the team. He's in like shades. He's not pitching. He's, you know, he's doing Sonny. And, uh, like, cause I know farmer. Well, cause Sally, a new, uh, a few guys, I'm like, none of them put me in a headlock. Sonny puts me in a headlock. And I'm like, Sonny, if this is all over the internet tomorrow, I'm going to kill you. You know, so couldn't do anything. Just add me. So, um, I don't know, man. I just go in there and pray for the best. No, I'm not, I'm not shying away and hiding. That's for sure. That's I love the little side brawls that break out where it's like the main scrap is still going on over here, but like 20 feet off to the side, maybe like the bench coaches are like trying to strangle each other. Like that's, I feel like the baseball brawls are like, they take so long to break up just because I feel like there's all these little tiny, like things yeah. going on all around. Yeah, usually it's just a bunch of push, pushing and yelling, which is, you know, that's weak. But we had a couple of good ones where some stuff got in, stuff got going. Our uh, bench coach in Pittsburgh, uh, he, he uh, Tom Prince is his name, he backed up catcher for, you know, 13, 14 years. And he bodied Puig. Puig was steamrolling at somebody. And he just, like, O-lineman popped up, stuck him. 
and shut him down. <laughs> I was like, dang, Love dude. Like, that was a lot of respect. It's, you know, just Puig's a big dude. But, um, yeah, you never know what you're going to get in those bras. It's fun, though. <laughs> Brian, you ever been in one? That's the truth, dude. Puig is a big dude, so that's that's pretty good. I'll give him that. We had an epic one that was on ESPN when I was in high A. It was bad. It was really bad. We uh, It's still out there somewhere, but um, Luis Castillo, the now with the Reds, was with the Marlins back then, and he just was killing us. It was like a 10 o'clock, one of those phrase, one of those uh, 10 o'clock kids' days that they do in the minor leagues. And uh, Williams. Yeah, we were just getting uh, we were getting our asses whooped, and they started drilling people. And yeah, just we'll find that for a clip another day. That's that that one lives in infamy. That was a legit. That was not pushing and shoving. That was like legit. Um, cops were about to walk on the field. People were bleeding. It was it was serious. Love that. Aquino, Aquino was throwing haymakers. It was. It was nuts. We had a couple yeah. guys in the hospital. It was, it was, it was bad. in front of a thousand kids and nobody else. So that was good. So when for you, was it in college or once you got drafted and were in the minors, when did you kind of realize that you could be pretty fucking good and, and really do this? Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, my freshman year of college, my coach will tell you he's, he's been there now for like 35 years, but when I was there, it was probably like 25 and he'll tell you, I was the first kid in 25 years he told to go home like that. He, he almost cut our, 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 so we, we would scrimmage our junior college is weird. Most junior colleges play like a fall schedule against other teams. Our JUCO didn't do that. We just scrimmaged against each other and our coach would do like rankings amongst our team. And we had 37 guys, 24 pitchers, some of them two way guys. And the first rankings that came out, I was ranked number 23rd. The 24th pitcher hadn't pitched because he was in the hospital peeing blood from our conditioning test. So I basically took second place in a one-man race there. So it was uh, – Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And uh, he – I remember he called me into his office one day, and he had the pitching coach in there that recruited me. And right in front of me, he asked him, he's like, were you drunk when you recruited this kid? Right in front of me. Like, my my junior college coach is ruthless, but he is, an unbel- like, brutally honest. That's all he is. Like, it's, it's all out of love, though. Like, I don't know how to explain it. Like, he, he's the kind of guy that would chew your ass and get into your shit, and then three minutes later, you guys are back to shooting the shit and being friends. Like, he's just, one, he's just got that about him and uh that kind of that kind of little fire under my ass the second week of rankings and lo and behold about a month and a half later I was ranked number six and then when we came back from uh Christmas break I I mean I threw every single day into a brick wall at home inside and I had this little piece of red tape on this wall at this training facility they kind of they trained soccer and they had just the space for me to throw. And I, I threw a bucket of balls. I mean, by the end of Christmas break, all my balls were lopsided, like none other, because I'm just throwing them up against a brick wall. And uh, I probably left, I left school probably throwing like 84, 86. And then I came back and I was 
88, 90, would hit 91 my freshman year. And then, um, yeah, from there I kind of knew, like, okay, I can, I can maybe get drafted out of here next year. Like, 90-mile-an-hour lefty, like, that, that'll play. And then my sophomore year, I uh, went to – we have – our junior college has a showcase. And, again, it's all – it was all D1 focus at this time. Like, I want to go D1. I want to go D1. And in my showcase, I threw my bullpen and I hit 93 in it, in a bullpen. So it was like, that was awesome. All of a sudden, I, I had dang near every D1 school calling, asking, blah, 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 whatever. And then I would say the start of my sophomore spring, um, my first outing, I had, I think it was like 26 scouts in the stand, college and pro. And uh, from there, I kind of knew like, okay, like pro ball's a thing. But uh, I didn't really know how successful I could be in the big leagues until I would say after Tommy John in Pro Bowl. When I, when I came back from Tommy John, uh, I would say like my first two months post Tommy John, like in games actually. So like a year after Tommy John, I was like 88, 90, just not trusting my elbow. And then my pitching coach sat me down and he said, Strom, he's like 88 to 90 mile an hour lefties grow on trees. Like, like if you don't start trusting it, they're going to they're gonna release you and move on. The two days later, I pitched in a game. I hit 97, and I struck out nine of ten batters. It, like, you can, you can ask anyone I played with in the minor leagues. They'll tell you it was like a light switch. Like, Strom goes out for an outing. He's 89-91. Two days later, this kid said, fuck everything, and – I didn't throw a fastball under 95 and I punched out nine of the 10 batters. The one batter I didn't strike out, I got him 0-2 and hit him with a curveball. Pissed me off. <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah. That's <clears throat> so you so you're telling me it started by throwing some balls at a at a brick wall back in West Fargo, North Dakota. Yeah. Just uh yeah. I I I gained probably four to six miles an hour that like Christmas break just by playing catch with myself, not having a catch partner. It was unreal. That's fucking awesome. See, but mm-hmm. see, what's so cool about that is is how many people would make up some fucking excuse about that and not do that. And here you are telling everybody who's listening that basically that's what got you going to where you are now. Yeah. I mean, I've always just – I've always picked, like, I mean, when I showed up freshman year, pick picked a lefty that threw harder than me and was better than me and it's like I'm gonna chase you down like yeah you're my teammate but still gonna chase you down like that's that's kind of what you got to do until I mean you know it too in the minor leagues it's you're you are competing with your teammates which sucks but it's part of it until you get to the big leagues and then once you're in the big leagues the only thing that matters is winning if you're winning and doing your job you're gonna stay here And before we get out of here, a special thank you to the band Stick Figure for allowing us to use today's intro and outro music.